What's going on, guys? It's your host, your boy, George Bakai, back in studio again today, pre-recorded as I always do during these wonderful COVID-19 times, and I got a good one. I got somebody special, somebody who is the current reigning, defending NWA champion. I'm not going to waste any more time on introductions. Let me welcome Nick Aldis to Straight Talk Wrestling. How are you, sir? Hi, George. I'm all right. How are you? I'm great, man. It's a Tuesday evening. I just had dinner. We're about to talk wrestling, and I'm about to talk with a man who is the 1,079-day current reigning NWA champion. That's an insane title reign. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, obviously it's not uh, it, it's not the most active title reign, you know, given the circumstances. But, yeah, the uh, I mean, look, it, it, it was it was it was doing pretty good as it was. But now 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 we're getting into some uh, pretty crazy numbers for the modern era. So, yeah, it's a pretty cool feeling. Absolutely. And you know what? We, I don't, COVID aside or not, I mean, the, the defenses that you've had are impressive. Um, one of my personal favorite matches that you had was um, Cody, obviously your rematch with Cody, but when you brought in one of my former guests, Camila Brickhouse, as the insurance policy. Right. I loved, I loved that angle. When you brought her out, I was like, oh, this is awesome. She's going to be able to contain Brandy and he can go ahead and win his, win his championship back. How did I ask Camila a little bit? And she said that, you know, Dave Lagana just kind of called her up and said, Hey, this is what we're thinking. This is what we're working. Was there anybody else in the running for that kind of insurance policy role when you were looking for that? Not really, because uh, she was the first choice and she said yes, you know, so it was, it, it worked out. I mean, I, I was not familiar with her. I, um, it was, it was one of those situations where, uh, in the in the lead up to the, the the rematch we were obviously we were coming off all in which was such a big event and and had been such a success and really captured and, and my match in particular had really captured a lot of the attention and, and a lot of the, the the coverage so it was kind of like we knew that we had this great opportunity with the rematch but we also knew it was it was only six or seven weeks following so it was kind of we had to have some unique elements to it. Obviously, the fact that it was uh, the, the Lightning One era NWA's sort of first standalone pay-per-view was one thing. Uh, we did <clears throat> National Fairgrounds, which you know, which had sort of quite a lot of significance, and we ended up setting a box office record for wrestling at that building. So there, there were there were, and then we decided to do two out of three falls to make it different. But we were just trying to think of things to to make it unique so that people would pay to see it again so shortly after the last one and um given all of the wrinkles of the, the the match in chicago it was we just kind of started there and went okay uh you know there was a there was a, a period in the match in in chicago where cody could have been counted out you know so where so in my mind if i'm the one sort of if i'm kind of making these uh you know as a competitor, as a former champion, if I'm sort of making my case, you know, for things that I would want, I would say, well, I want it to be two out of three falls so that we can't have any more, you know, so there's, there's no more, there's no excuses, you know, there's no, you know, he's got to beat me twice. If he's going to be, he's not going to, he's not going to have everything. The whole, the whole story of the Chicago show was that everything was in his favor. You know, it was his event. He picked the referee. He picked the, you know, he got to, he got to call his, all his own shots and Brandy interfered. So it was kind of like, we just kind of went, we just started there and went, okay, two out of three falls. 
um, you know, Brian Hebner's going to be the referee this time, not Earl Hebner. And and then it was like, okay. And I said, well, you know, the other, the major thing here is that Brandy got involved. So obviously it would have been great if I could have had Mickey get involved, but that wasn't going to be able to happen. She's under contract to WWE. So I was kind of like, well, the next, you know, the, the next, the next best thing and turns out to be, uh, you know, probably a better thing uh, in, in, the, in the long term was like, what if I had a female enforcer, you know, like, because I wouldn't have a, I, I wouldn't have a valet. I wouldn't have a romantic interest because again, everyone knows I'm married to Mickey. So it's like, we, you know, we, I always want to do stuff that's real, that feels authentic, you know? So I was kind of like, but there's, there's no reason why I couldn't have a, a female enforcer specifically brought in to neutralize Brandy Rhodes. And in describing this sort of character, Dave Lagana just said, I know just the person, you know, there's someone who I've sort of been keeping an eye on for the right time, the right spot, the right moment. And what about this, you know, what about this girl? And uh, God, you know, she, she came, she, they flew her out to um, Philadelphia, I think. To, to meet with me um, just to sort of take a temperature on it. And then if, if we're, and if we like the fit, then we'll shoot some vignettes or whatever. And I mean, she just has a physical presence, you know, that's second to none with, with, with women in the business. And she, you know, she just, she walks in and I'm just right away. I'm just like, okay, yes, like hundred percent. Like she's so physically imposing, but at the same time, uh, you know, she's stunning. She's got a sort of, there's just very, you know, she, you, people like her don't grow on trees. You know what I mean? <laughs> They're kind of like a very unique uh, human being. So it was kind of like perfect. That's, you know, right there. Like let's let's go. And look, she was very green. We put a lot of pressure on her, um, given the fact that you know very few people knew who she was. So it was kind of like she, you know, baptism by fire. She had to come out, and people had had to sort of you know, get through that first awkward couple of minutes of like, who is this, you know? And by the time, by the end of that show, everyone's just like, I don't, this is awesome. You know, like, <laughs> I don't know who she is, but like, I'm feeling this, you know, like this, this pairing is people got it right away. You know, people weren't going like, Oh, wait a minute. Like he's married to Mickey. There was no, there was no inclination of anything romantic. There was no sort of there was nothing sort of in that in that vein. There was it wasn't a ballet kind of relationship right away. I think because she did such a good job, um, and obviously we you know we worked really hard on sort of getting all of that right. And uh, just right off the bat, people just knew immediately what it was, and uh, you know, and it was definitely unique. No one no one's really doing that in the business at that time. Absolutely. And when I when I sat down with her, I, I compared her, and I hope this is a fair comparison. I compared her and you to uh, one of my all-time favorites. I'm a Triple H guy through and through, but I compared you and her to the modern-day Triple H in China. Do you think yeah. that's a safe comparison? Yeah, I, I, I mentioned China when I was describing, you know, in the with the concept. You know, right. I said China type, you know, not maybe not necessarily, doesn't, you know, she didn't necessarily have to be uh, quite as sort of you know, scary or anything like that, but just a, a, a physically imposing woman, you know, with size and, and uh, a, you know, physical presence. That's what I wanted. And she was perfect. Absolutely. And that was one of my favorite matches. But I got to I got to kind of uh, rewind back a little bit to all out. How was it being part of 
probably one of the most defining moments in wrestling history in the last 10 years because it's literally an independent pay-per-view. It's being put on by the wrestlers. It's literally just, you know, we're going to go after the big promotions. We're going to show them that we can do this and it could be successful. And not only was it successful, but it was a game changer because that led eventually to AEW. So how was it being a part of that moment in history? Right. Well, there's a lot to unpack in that question, but uh, <laughs> I, I want to. I, I think it's. I think it's important to be to be fair uh, in describing all in. Is it because, look, I you know obviously um, I had I had no involvement in the in the planning of the event, you know, besides my own stuff, but I had a lot of control over that part of it, and that's a unique element of that show that I think. Um, speaks to the to to its success in that there was yes it was a collection of all kinds of different talent from all over the world from different promotions who had all made a mark in the industry uh mostly outside of wwe um you know when you think about uh myself the bucks kenny marty uh pentagon you know there there was a, 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 a a larger number of the of the main card of that show had never been in WWE than had, so I think that that's a unique that was unique for the United States. Um, so I was proud to be to you know to be uh, recognized I guess as one of one of the people who didn't need WWE who didn't need a WWE um, uh, history to be able to you know to be able to to play a part in drawing a, an arena full of people, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's very validating because look, everyone, you know, we all get told in our careers, oh, you should be in WWE, you know, and I, I mean, look, if I had a dollar for every time I've been told that, I wouldn't need to wrestle again, you know, but it's like, I'm not, and that's it. Like, there's no, you know, it's, I don't really give it any more thought than that, but it is, but obviously, you do look at you do look at the grand scheme of things and you think gosh you know i wonder if i'll ever have the chance to uh experience those types of events without working for wwe you know because obviously you still need uh, you know a significant amount of financial backing and uh you know logistic support and and, and everything needs to you know, there's a lot of things that need to come together to make a, an event like that happen and that and so to you know to be involved in one that sold out that quickly and then to be in in you know arguably the true main event of that show was yes obviously hugely gratifying and, and you know a defining moment of my career i would say that uh i think ring of honor's role in it needs it doesn't get credited enough because yes it was conceptually it was independent guys um, you know, an independent talent, you know, and an independent show. And it did, and it did help. I mean, it did fundamentally change the landscape of the business going forward. Um, because yes, it did, it did, uh, it was proof of concept for Tony Khan to decide to invest, uh, his, you know, in, in the industry, but I don't think it's fair to say it was an independent show. <laughs> I think it was a ring of honor show you know, that they allowed to brand differently and Ring of Honor had the foresight to welcome and book other talent 
um, you know, outside of their outside of their contracted guys, which really is something that people have talked about for years but can never agree on. Why? Because no one can agree whose name goes at the top of the poster, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And on this occasion, actually, Ring of Honor went, yeah, we'll do it, and we don't even need to be because if they'd have said Ring of Honor all in, you know, it wouldn't have had, it wouldn't have felt the same. It had to feel had to feel like it was equal had to feel like it was an equal opportunity kind of event for for all the people involved um so i think i think they deserve i think they did credit where it's due in terms of their ability to sort of look beyond their own ego and and say okay we'll we'll facilitate it you know we te we'll technically own it but we'll be but we'll be silent partners in it right like it you know it, and I think they deserve credit for that because, um, you know, I hear that a lot. Like, oh, it was it was the precursor to AEW, and it's like it was a Ring of Honor show, right? You know, like it was, and and you know, they kind of uh, they were almost, you know, they they were they kind of sacrificed themselves in a way. If you look at where the business went after that. I would agree, and I, I didn't mean it in, in any form of disrespect to leave Ring of Honor. No, no, I, I know, but I'm just saying I like to, I like to give credit where it's due, and and I think that Ring of Honor's role in it needs to be highlighted more than it is overall. Absolutely, 150% agree with you on that, and and it's kind of funny that you've mentioned Ring of Honor because that was actually my next question. I feel like we're meshing, Nick. I feel like you know exactly where I'm going. I'm glad um, one of <laughs> so um, my next question is, is that everyone's talking recently about, again, another landscape change that they're all believing they're seeing for the first time, which is cross-branding and cross-promotion, AEW and Impact. Everybody's working together. Oh, yay, look at this. But Ring of Honor was doing it for a long time first. Ring of Honor New Japan had, had a very healthy relationship for a very long time. And that's two big juggernauts in the game. So that's, again, something that is being overshadowed and highlighted now by the like current staple of the business, right? Well, and, and, and the NWA and Ring of Honor worked together to, to bring the Crockett Cup. Absolutely. In 2019, yes. where, again, it was uh, the top talent in the NWA and the top talent in Ring of Honor in the main event, you know, for the, for the world title. So it's like, yeah. Um, and, and look... That's that's just that's just something that exists with this sort of cult-like fan base, I guess. Whether you know, there's, it's very much about. Um, it's always I kind of it's funny I see it, and it's almost like a political party. It's like the, it's always the party first, and you know, facts second. Uh, you know, or context. It's always like um, and look and, and hey, at the end of the day, uh, it does. It's it, it's it's not worth getting. You know, it's not worth getting upset about. It's just is what it is. But yes, it's no. I, I see a lot of that too. I I get asked the question, "Hey, do you think that we could see um, you know more cross promotion with the end?" Oh no, you what you mean like we did with House of Hardcore, like we did with Ring of Honor, like we have with AEW? I don't. <laughs> and in the Crockett Cup, we had teams from New Japan and we had teams from CMLL. So it's like, yeah, no, we, we're we're already doing that. We've already done it. Like it's, uh, it's just, you know, I don't know. It, people like to, there's such a fascination now, I think with the behind the scenes element of the business that like one of, one of the areas of that company's appeal has almost become that they, that they let their fans feel like they're sort of helping run the, run the company. Right. 
And so it's so then, of course, they're going to pat themselves on the back because they feel like it's their company. Of course, it's not their company. You know, they're funding it. They're paying for it. Like they, you know, and so. But hey, that's 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 all. That's a sound marketing strategy for for them. Um, but yes, it, it can lead to some sort of so it it can lead to some uh, troubling kind of. Um, comments and and uh sort of unnecessary aggression towards other companies i find which is just you know i just i don't know i just find that all kind of it gets old really quick with me absolutely absolutely it does and um uh let's talk a little nwa for for a while because i was when nwa power came out and it was surging on the internet i was uh to use a pun bluntly i was all in on that stuff I loved it. I loved the old school feel. I loved the studio feel. I loved the vibe. I loved the having the matches. And then right after the matches, you cut a promo right there at the desk. How was it to kind of be back in that NWA element and seeing that old school style kind of come back to life again in a modern era? I was, um, I'd put it up there with, with the sort of top five experiences of my career. Like that first day, that first show, the, 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 you know, we were or that that first set of tapings, um, I think everyone who is involved in that looks at it as you know as one of the fondest memories of their careers I, because it was special, you know, and and it, that 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 venue that place is special. There's an energy to that building that just that just works, and um, obviously I was it was gratifying for me because I was you know I'm so heavily involved in the process. Um, that <clears throat> to to just you know to be privy to the development sort of bit by bit and and then to finally get there and to walk in to see the the finished thing was just you know so and and watching everyone else come in and just see them all start because I'm sure that I'm sure there were a lot of guys who were kind of who were a little skeptical or were thinking like. We're doing studio wrestling, I guess. I don't know why. I don't really, you know, because they weren't they weren't all in on the on the concept or on the brand like I was. Um, and then they and they shouldn't have, you know, because they they, <laughs> they did they didn't need to be that invested at that point. They were just guys taking a booking. And but to, I think that a, a lot of, I watched a lot of the guys come in that day. Guys who have been around too. Guys like Ken Anderson or you know Aaron Stevens or even Cornette. And just watching them come in and see their faces light up and just start and then immediately them start getting excited and go oh wow this is where we do promos oh my god i can't wait like i want to do a promo right now you know because it works it does like that style of that style of tv works you know and um you know, we, we, we zeroed in on that vision and we believed in it because we felt like if you were familiar with that style of, of wrestling content, it was going to be nostalgic. And if you weren't familiar with it, it was going to be new and fresh. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of a win-win. And that's why we and that's why we're standing by it now. Absolutely. It was a win-win for me. When I saw the first episode of Power that I watched, I think it was uh, the second or third episode, I watched it and I was like, man. This just, this just brings me back to my childhood. Now, mind you, my childhood wasn't that far ago. I mean, I'm only in my 30s. But um, still, it, it brought me back to those moments. And it was like, this is awesome. But to my daughter, who had never seen it, 
I showed it to her and she was like, dad, this is so cool. It's so different. It's, 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 it's more, um, it makes me feel like I'm right there as opposed to being right. in a big arena where I could get lost in the crowd. And I said, yeah, that's what makes it special. And her and I, we were faithful with it right up until uh, COVID happened. So I got to yeah. ask this because Billy, I don't think Billy gets enough credit for how great his, his mind is, his wrestling IQ is. How was it working with him? Because he gets a lot of flack for the TNA stuff and the impact stuff and what was going on over there when he took it over there. But how was it here working under this, this kind of new banner and bring, bringing life back into this nostalgic product? Well, work, working with him has been, uh, you know, a, a fabulous experience, you know, for the most part. Like, at the end of the day, you know, you don't work with someone for this length of time and commit this hard if you don't if, if you don't vibe with them and you don't think that uh in the long run you know we've got a chance to make a go of this if i didn't feel like that i i wouldn't have committed as hard as i had uh in spite of obviously the position i'm in here um do we does it does that mean that we agree on everything no absolutely not but our process is so, so much better than anywhere else I've worked in that. While Billy, Billy as a boss, you know, he's the final say and, and it, that's very much, that's very much established. You know, he, he, he's like, it's his money, it's his company, it's his brand. He, and he, and he is very um, protective of what, of where he wants it to go. Uh, but when it comes, but but part of that is he understands that the best thing for his company is to let me do me the way I want to do me, mm -hmm. and for Thunder Rosa to do Thunder Rosa the way she does it, and you know, and and so on and so forth. He's not sitting there going, "Here's what I want you to say," you know, and and, and you know, there's 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 very little agenda besides doing what's best for the audience right and doing what doing what makes sense you know doing doing where this you know most of the time if you're doing things right most of the time it's pretty obvious where things should go so it really isn't that difficult now <clears throat> um there's obviously you know we're experiencing we experience new challenges all the time, and obviously COVID was was a big one. And he he wasn't. I don't think you know that obviously wasn't part of anyone's plan. But I think he in particular uh, it hit him hard emotionally. I think because we were just at a, we were at a point where you have to remember we were on the, we we were on course to sell out an arena with me and Marty too. And I saw the numbers. We were gonna. We we would have if we'd have kept if we'd have tracked the way we were tracking and compared to our other events. And you know we we would have sold that arena out. And um, when when you start a venture like this, you're talking millions of dollars of investment, and it's an, it, with an understanding that it's probably going to be a few years before you start to see any return. So it's like, it's pretty demoralizing to get into like year two, year three, where now you're really starting to ramp up your level of investment because now you're, <clears throat> excuse me, investing in uh, more, more infrastructure, 
more talent, more personnel behind, you know, to do more jobs and, you know, storage for merchandise distribution. And, you know, we were starting, you know, these were all things that we were, that, that the company was now venturing into. And then suddenly, boom, you know, you can't do anything, it's, you know, and, and we're not in a position yet where we were getting a rights fee for our content. So suddenly it's like, wow, like, you know, you, you, I mean, it's crippling. Yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> It's been it's been rough, but I <clears throat> I think that he had a he had a, a period where he wasn't he wasn't sure where he wanted to go next, uh, and there were you know people like to talk about the sort of talent exodus or whatever, but most of those guys were not under full time contracts. They were on they you know they were just under short term contracts for the duration of the season. So of course you know when it came to once that you know once those expired you know it wasn't it wasn't a whole lot for for billy to be able to offer them right you know so it was kind of like hey you know sorry to sorry to see you go but you know good like we're happy for you when you you know so many of them you know when so many of them getting up getting opportunities that let's face it would not have come had they not been seen on nwa power so it's like he there was <clears throat> i don't think there was any resentment for that from him but it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt, you know, it doesn't help. doesn't, it doesn't mean it doesn't sting when he sits there and goes, golly, I, I invested all this time and money in that person. And then now they're, and now they're an asset for this other company. Of course, like there's no resentment to the individual, but it's just, you know, but it's just, it's not fun. You know, <laughs> it's like, it's so it's, it'll be like restoring a car you know, and, and it's almost roadworthy. And then, and then someone comes and takes, you know, someone comes and takes you off your hands and then they do the last bit of the job and now they're cruising around in it, you know, and yeah. you're like, oh, <laughs> oh man, you know, <clears throat> so, but working with him uh, is, is challenging at times because of his, you know, he doesn't have a ton of experience on an administrative side in, in wrestling. But it's also super rewarding on the others because for that exact same reason, because he trusts me more than anyone else I've ever worked with. And I've been able to prove that he's right to do that. Like, think about I was with TNA for six years. And they were on the whole and with the exception of the last year, I think, it was on a major network, major cable network, prime time, you know, and yet now. Nobody talks to me about. Nobody says. Nobody. Nobody even. Nobody even brings up my time at this Magnus in TNA. Like everyone talks about the NWA and my career in the NWA and what I've done here. And we have. And we started with three people and a YouTube show. Mm -hmm. You know. And it's like. So, that's a testament to Billy having trust in me and going, okay. I mean, because there are times where I think about it. The entire direction of the company has literally gone where I wanted it to go, based on what 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 I thought would work with my angle or my you know, and he's gone okay. What do you think? You know, and I, and he, and and it's worked. We ended up with you know with things like All In, and then you know, the seventieth and the Crockett Cup, and you know, so it's like we we have a trust now um, that is 
unlike any anything else I've ever had in the industry. And uh, that's why there's a loyalty there. And it's also why I'm super excited about the next step, you know, because I, I really hope that within the next few weeks, we'll be able to have something to, to show everyone that really validates why I stayed put. And really, so when people see it, they'll go, oh, okay. I, now I understand, you know, so I, I hope that we're going to be in a position to be able to do that very soon. And, um, you know, but it's, yeah, look, working with him is, is uh, like working with anyone, you know, there are good and bad days, but it's been a, a immensely rewarding experience. Absolutely. And, and when obviously that time comes and you could share this with the world, you're going to come back on your new favorite podcast, Straight Talk Wrestling. We're going to have another conversation about it all, right? Well, I mean, well, there's, 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 you can always hope. <laughs> All right, I'll take it for what it is. I actually do have a TNA question because you were one of the major reasons that I started watching TNA. And I actually started watching TNA during your uh, TNA Heavyweight Championship run, 2013, 2014. And I loved the feuds with um, Jeff, with AJ, with uh, Samoa Joe. And those are three guys that I have been a fan of forever. And they made me a fan of you and you made me a fan of you. That's when I was like, damn, Magnus is badass. I love that title reign and I loved everything about it. But I have to ask, my question is quite a simple one. During that title reign, you were again facing guys like Samoa Joe, AJ Styles, Jeff Hardy. Who was the most creative to work with in the ring during your title reign? Who did you have the most fun chemistry wise in the ring during that title reign? Well, the, the, the problem with that question is that the three guys you just mentioned are probably my three favorite opponents in TNA. Okay. Um, you know, for, uh, and, you know, as much, and really for, for a lot of the same reasons in that uh, there, we had good chemistry and their style was unique and, and um, complemented mine. You know, it contrasted mine and complemented it. I'm a big proponent of uh, clashes of styles make good matches. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't personally, I, I get a little sick of all the sort of dream match booking where it's always kind of like the 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 top luchador against the other top luchador, and the the you know one really good Japanese wrestler against the other really good Japanese wrestler, and the, the you know I, I don't. I feel like that's what I call video game booking, mm -hmm. where it's like, it sounds good. It looks great on a, on a screen where you sort of go, oh yeah, like the, they're perfectly matched and blah, blah, blah. But there's not a whole lot of story to it, you know? And a lot of the time when you have matches like that, the, what happens is the story is basically, we're going to do absolutely everything to each other and keep kicking out and keep kicking out and keep kicking out until eventually one of us doesn't kick out. And it's kind of like, right. Okay. That's the story. Like it's to me, it's kind of like those matches should be once a year, like for the, for, with the right moment, because obviously there's a, there's a, there's a very obvious reason why it works, you know, in, in the sense of like this, the, the idea is you want to create, uh, you, you want to create as much doubt as possible over who's going to win. Mm -hmm. That's why Cody and I worked because no one could ever, you know, people people could 
never really, they were never really, it couldn't really predict who was going to win. You know, on, on for multiple on multiple levels, but overall, like clashes of styles and contrasts of styles and contrasts of character and contrasts of sort of storytelling is what makes a great match because that's how you tell the story. Mm -hmm. So, so I love wrestling Jeff Hardy, and, and Jeff was you know very good to me and would say the same. He was you know it's you know, somehow I love wrestling you. You know, he's so smooth and like you know, it's, it's, it, we you know we're so different. We you know that mesh really well <clears throat> and it's like yeah because when you when you see a when you see a film and it comes down to the final fight scene with the good guy and the bad guy by that point in time you've understood the dynamic between the two mm -hmm. right you need to understand why you want one guy to be the other guy and, and there, there'll be some advantages that the other guy has a lot of the time it's the it's you know, the, the bad guy will be slightly bigger and slightly stronger and, you know, or, or slightly more cunning or more crafty, you know, and, and the, the good guy will have a little more heart and a little more aggression, he's a bit tougher, you know, or, or you know, he's more, he, he, he's, he, he's finds one opportunity out of nowhere and takes it, you know, it's more resourceful, right? Like, and those are the stories I like telling in matches. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of like, when you have someone who's who's got a very di distinctive move set like AJ or Joe or Jeff, it's like, okay, now you can start to have fun because now you start thinking, okay, well, you know, people want to see them hit this, but like, well, when they when he goes to do that, I'm gonna stop it. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna shut that down. I'm gonna you know I'm gonna grab him and counter it. I'm gonna uh, not today. That's that's psychology, you know, so um, <clears throat> I would say your original question was who is the most imaginative mm -hmm. on a story to, and I would probably have to say AJ. I mean, it's, it's, there's nothing in it with, with any of them, but just because AJ was so talented and so versatile that he could, like if you take our match we had in St. Louis, uh, for the finals of the Battle for Glory series, mm -hmm. it was like he won that match with the spinal tap, you know, and nobody, and it was like nobody sort of went, "Oh man, he didn't hit the Styles Clash." Like he could have, you know, he could have hit the Styles Clash. He's hit me with the Styles Clash before, but the way we sort of, you know, the way everything played out, and the the the, the way that that match needed to be for me is it was like this final tap made more viral tap made more sense mm -hmm. so it was like and so in the end of that match everybody you know a, a perfect wrestling match everybody comes out with better and in that match you know that match made me in tna because it was the because it was the first time where i had been presented as a baby face against the top babyface. I mean, the guy, the franchise player of TNA. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, and I didn't get booed out of the building. <laughs> you know, it was, there was a, there was a sense in St. Louis, there was a sort of collective kind of, hey, this, you, you know, we're see, we're witnessing something here, this guy's earned it. So, but the, the, the key element of it was I had to lose, you know, because it just wasn't quite my time yet. Mm -hmm. And if we could get that right, 
you know, then I was going to be, then I was going to be just teed up and set up for, for, for when it was my turn. And, and it was, it was done perfectly because of the way that, you know, that AJ, you know, worked out that decide, you know, how decided to win with the spiral taps. Um, and, you know, he was always, right from the beginning to my, when I walked through the doors there, he was always very giving, always, was always like, hey, come, you know, let's go get in the ring and, you know, I'll show you some stuff and, you know, hey, you know, you know, it'll be a good move for you. Like he was always thinking of, he was always thinking of stuff for other people as well. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I've tried to, I've tried to, I think some of that's rubbed off on me, you know, because of guys like Joe and AJ and Jeff, you know, they're very giving. So I've tried to adopt the same philosophy, especially with the NWA. You know, I'll, I'll try to take guys and be like, hey, you know what would be really good for you to do with this? Or like, hey, I had an idea for an angle for you. Or I had an idea, you know, I thought it might be cool if like you started saying this, you know, whatever. Because like, that's how we move the business forward. That, you know, a rising tide lifts all ships. You know? Absolutely. It's, it's growing together and it's a, 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 a elevating everyone. And that's the, that's the way I look at it. my life is the same philosophy that I have. You got to grow together. You got to elevate together. And it's just, it makes for good business because if everyone's at the top of their game, it gives everybody something special to look forward to on a regular basis. So do you think going back to your psychology question, this is a great question because I actually had this. Um, do you think nowadays psychology in the ring, the storytelling, I call it the dance, the dance, that perfect construction that perfect breakdown that perfect orchestration do you think that's lost on today's up-and-coming talent because they're always looking for the high spot or always looking for the holy shit or oh my god moment do you think we've lost the psychology of wrestling well that's what if you were asking me that question in court that's where my lawyer would object and say you're asking me a leading question <laughs> because oh, court. you basically just projected your opinion into the question that's true that's true. Um, but if that is your opinion, I would probably agree with you. Okay. Uh, for the most part, um, <clears throat> I think the difference is is that if you look back through the, especially through the boom period, which is where people tend to go when they make comparisons, they tend to look at the boom period. There were always there were matches in that period too that were that were too choreographed and too planned and too many too many big moves too many kickouts too many high spots and stuff like that. They just there was one of them, you know. There was one or two of them on the card, and they weren't particularly significant in terms of uh, the the positioning on the card. I think over over time. Uh, there was a short, there was a period where a collection of fans romanticized this idea that smaller wrestlers were being underappreciated and overlooked and, you know, should have been higher up the card and things like that. Uh, and it bled into everything. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would make the argument that what you see now is that less people are watching. So I just, I think somewhere along the line, the business became too heavily influenced by critical acclaim mm -hmm. and not commercial success because there is always room for it. I just don't think it should be the dominant, uh, the dominant style overall. Mm -hmm. 
there are people I, you know look I, I had a conversation the other day with with uh, on on keeping it 100 mm-hmm. where I was like I, you know how many times I have to bite my tongue when I hear people from the previous generation lamenting to me that oh guys don't sell enough guys, all the guys now do dives do dives every match all the guys now you know they don't they, they all kick out of their finish you guys don't know how to tell a story you guys and i'm sitting there going well i've never done a dive right like i think i sell a lot uh i always try to tell a story and i nearly always win on my finish so i'm sort of going like no, it's not all guys. It's some guys, right? You know, unfortunately, it's social media and performative activism have led to this sort of overgeneralization of everything with wrestling, where it's like there is no. It's they don't say um, they from now they don't say oh that was a bad take from that guy on that one particular subject now they're like that guy's an idiot he's stupid he's a hater you know okay boomer never listen to anything he ever says again and let's all cancel it you know as opposed to like no that was a bad take on that that thing the same way that the guys from the previous generation see one match or they see one sometimes not even a match they see a clip Mm -hmm. of a particular you know I remember a spot that was from a Ring of Honor show that got, you know, that's, that that was one of the ones that kind of got, that got a lot of this sort of uh, war kind of going, even guys like Daniel Cormier and stuff weighed in on, they went, this isn't wrestling, this is like, this is choreographed bullshit. I was like, well, it was just with one clip from one match. Right. You know? But and look, we're all guilty of it. I've been guilty of it. But, you know, people will send this stuff to me and they'll go, This is this is what wrestling is now. And I'll be like, no, this is what some wrestling is now. Right. There's always been some wrestling that's, you know, that that you don't like. I think the difference is, is that again, while the overall level of entitlement and activism has gone up to where I remember watching Raw when I was a kid and and I won't, I won't name anyone in particular because I don't want to offend anyone, but like, you know, let someone's match would come on who I didn't particularly care for, mm-hmm. right? And I would probably just, and I might go, oh no, not this guy. But I wouldn't, I didn't feel compelled to like write about it or, you know, tweet about it if, if Twitter had been a thing or, or to go on the internet and sort of proclaim my, my, sort of uh, disdain for this i just i went eh, it'd be seven minutes and you know I'll, I'll go make something to eat or i'll you know go take a piss or do something else for, for a few minutes and then i'll tune back in you know it's <clears throat> we've got to stop and people have got to people have got to stop um creating these unrealistic expectations that an entire wrestling show should be a la carte for you just the way you like it. Because what's happening is, is that the reason the audience is shrinking more and more and more is because the, 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 the ones who complain the most are now getting drunk with power. And now they're going like, now change this, now change that. Oh, this one wrestler said a thing I don't agree with. So it's time to get rid of him. And you know, it's, it's, it's more and more, it's power. You know, they're drunk with power. Mm-hmm. 
And it's like, we need more women on the show, more women matches, you know, like uh, I want, now I want a women's tag titles and now I want, you know, oh, and then, so, and then you do that and suddenly it's like, oh, you guys have been neglecting the, the, the other tag team champions, you know, like you, you need to see more of that. And where's the Intercontinental title or like, oh, why isn't there another belt yet? You know, like we get, we, we got that all the time at the NWA, like where's the TV belt? You know, now where's the North American belt? Now where's the cruiserweight? Now we need the light heavyweight belt. Oh, Jesus, you know, is everyone on the show going to have a belt? <laughs> yeah. like what's the point absolutely but because it, it's not they don't really care about the belt george yes they 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 just it, what they care about is having power because they're people who didn't have the courage to get into the business right or to you know make any sort of meaningful contribution to it mm-hmm. and suddenly they're going they're they're, they're gratifying themselves by going see look what i did I made this happen. I have influence. I'm important. You know, pay attention to me. And it's like I always, <laughs> I always, I I used to make this. I used to make this comment to Dixie because Dixie cared too much about what Twitter thought. And I used to say, Dixie, Twitter is like owning a bar and having where you know and having locals you've got 10 locals who every night will prop up the bar they will sit on all those stools and they will prop up the bar every night and they will buy over the course of an evening they'll buy six or seven drinks mm-hmm. okay and hell they might even order a sandwich you know or some fries they might order some wings they might put a couple of bucks in the jukebox they may play pool you know so yes per head you probably make a little more money off your off your 10 locals every night Mm-hmm. But it's the equivalent of then you decide, you know what, I need to start bringing more people in here. Maybe I'm going to start having live music on a Wednesday. And those 10 people going, no way, don't have a band in here. We don't want a band in here. We can't hear, we can't hear ourselves think. We don't want to talk to, you know, we, we don't want a band in here. If you get a band in here, we're out of here. And you go, okay, 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 all right, all right, all right. Okay, so we'll like, stick oh, to okay. the jukebox. We'll stick to the jukebox. Yeah, yeah. Or then it's like, okay, well, we're going we're gonna to start doing happy hour. Happy hour? Are you kidding me? This place is going to be full of yahoos from the business district. Oh, they're going to be pissing us off and they're going to ruin the whole vibe. And you can't do that. Okay, okay, okay. We'll do that either. And soon enough, they start complaining about how things already are. Right. You know? Right. Like, and before you know it, you start going, wait a minute. I've got to jump through hoops just to keep these 10 guys happy. And they're still complaining, right? The reality is they ain't going anywhere. Right. They're going to stay right there, you know, Mm -hmm. and let them complain. Like we need more people in here. Our thing is like, we're, we're looking at the business and going, okay, there's a hell of a lot of wrestling catering to those fans. Now, if those fans check out our show, great. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. If those fans start trying to tell us how to do our show. We got a problem. No, no problem. But it's just, it's, it's going to be a waste of their time. Right. Because we're looking, we're looking to get back the millions of people who have fallen off who I meet on a regular basis. We go, you know, I used to watch wrestling, but now, you know, I just don't get it anymore. And I, I saw this one thing a few weeks ago and I didn't get it. Like, who was this? I don't really understand what the hell was going on. And I go, I, I understand. Mm-hmm. They want wrestling. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're, and that's what we're offering. Wrestling. We're proud of it. 
hundred percent. And you should be, I, like I said, I, I love the NWA product and two more questions that I'm going to let you go enjoy your evening. This is a question I got to ask, because I mean, if I didn't all of my straight talk faithful, that's what I call my fan base. They would be like, this, you're an idiot, George. So I have to ask it. Thunder Rosa, she defended the NWA women's title on AEW. Um, has there been any talk or I know I, I got to, I got a Nick. I'm sorry. He just, he gave me, he rolled his eyes at me. Is there, well, it's going to be a yes or no answer. Real quick question. Is there any chance that you may be defending or bringing the NWA championship to AEW? I mean, there's always a chance, but I don't, I don't particularly have any desire to do it at this point. Okay. I'm more interested in, because if I do that, then who needs to watch the NWA? hundred percent. So why That's, was why was Billy why was Billy okay with Thunder Rosa doing it? Can I ask that question? Thunder Rosa, well, a well, first of all, AEW uh, reached out and specifically made that request because okay. they, you know, their women's division, you know, needed, you know, could you know would benefit. Oh, of course, of course, and it did. Um, it did hundred percent. It did hundred. Yes, of course it did. Um, and also. You know, in spite of the fact that Rosa had obviously done really well uh, on her time on NWA Power, she had she wasn't as well established as you know as the NWA champion as I was, mm -hmm. right? So it was kind of like it was it, it it made more sense, and it was and it was okay because the more eyeballs that you know that we we you know she she's a she's a phenomenal talent, so. The more eyeballs that can, you know, get on her, the better. So that they, so that then when when we're ready to operate again, we can take advantage of that asset. One hundred percent. And she is you a know, great I, on the show. She's amazing. Huge, amazing. Yeah, and 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 uh, she's, you know, she's also look her contract structured differently to mine. So it's like it, it was important that she, you know, that she got out there and got to work and, and you know kept working. You know and stuff like that so it's you know there was a lot of different elements that went into it but for me i i, I don't it's no secret at this point that you know that, that tony had uh it, you know asked me to join the company you know back back in january of 2019 mm -hmm. and i was very flattered that he did and i was uh and we and we had a nice conversation but ultimately um i would only I was only interested in working there if I could continue working with Billy for the NWA mm -hmm. because I'm not and not for any other and so so it wasn't about it wasn't about that it wasn't about their show or their product so I'm confident that I can I can make it work wherever I can 100% you can like I I think that the best thing that came from all in and that whole sort of that whole culture that kind of came from in that that whole time period was that people started to realize that, oh, you don't need this whole creative team and this marketing machine behind somebody to, you know, for them to establish themselves. You know, you should let them, you know, because, uh, because obviously Cody had done a, you know, done a great job of rebranding himself. Here's me like 100% at that, like what you, what you saw at that point, but what you see of me now is 100% self you know, made as far as like sort of on a creative standpoint, everything I do and say came from me. Mm -hmm. Kenny Omega, you know, same thing. Like, you know, Marty, same thing. Bucks, same thing. So it's like, um, 
So I'm confident that if I, if I, you know, if I was, if, it, if everything worked out and I showed up on that show, like I'd nail it. But at this point, uh, I, I was willing to sit and wait in order to maximize that impact for the NWA. You know, when we when we were able to to run again, because <laughs> you know. As as much as as much as it would be fun for me to do anything like that, they don't need it, and I don't need it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it would only be a situation, you know, we would only do it if there was a situation where we we could both see some benefit from it. Of course, like if it was going to help help their business and help my business, and right now, it would really only help them. Right. It's not mutually beneficial right now. No, it isn't. Yeah, because it's, because it's not like we can. If I were to show up next week. It's like until we had something tangible to say, okay, now you need to, like, you know, I'm here, I'm here because we've got a pay per view or we've got this or that, you know. But until we have something like that, if I show up now, it's just benefiting them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I wish people would understand that and not take it out of context, but they probably will. And who gives a fuck? I don't think anybody would take it out of context. I know exactly what you're uh, saying. Someone will make, someone will, someone will make a headline out of it and it'll say, and they'll say, Nick Aldis says, he doesn't need AEW and you know it, it benefits them more than me and ever. Oh fuck him, you know, he hates AEW. <laughs> uh welcome to the welcome to the wonderful world of marks and wrestling. My final question. When you were on taking it 100 with Conan, you had a great quote. And I'm not gonna get it. I read this article today and kind of tightening up my research. I'm not gonna get into it, but you guys can find it on wrestlingnews.com. But one of the quotes I love from it was about the attitudes of current wrestlers in the business. But one of the quotes I loved was a quote you said about yourself. Take it from a guy who got signed very young, didn't know what he was doing, was able to move up the ladder both monetarily and with his spot on the card. I made a lot of mistakes and enemies too, and I'm still paying for it now, but it wasn't that I didn't know any better. The difference is, is that you have to be self-aware, look back and go, Whew, I can't believe I thought or I said that. For the most part, I owned it. I was a dumb kid. I didn't know what I was doing. I was green and I had an attitude. I thought I was indestructible. That was a great quote. And I think it's something that we can all learn from, not just in the wrestling world, in everyday life. I've sure. had my mouth consistently get me into trouble. Believe me, sure. you can ask my wife. I get my foot in my mouth almost on a daily basis. Right. I mean, look, you've you, you got to be hungry, but you also got to be humble. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm actually, I'm actually, uh, I'm getting, this is, this is a, a new, I'm breaking new ground for me. Um, I was asked to give a give a, a talk to a university, which wow. I'm doing on Thursday. Well, congratulations! And, uh, That's amazing. And a, and a, and a, I, I, the, the part the, the part of the talk I actually worked on today was covering some of this in that. Um, <clears throat> It's been quite it's quite well established now in the world of psychology that humiliation is felt more strongly as an emotion than anger mm -hmm. or even fear. Mm -hmm. Right, humiliation, in, you know, in, in humans in the in modern society is felt so deeply and so profoundly uh, that it's often the trigger that leads to some very bad decisions. Very. A very bad, um, very bad circumstances, <clears throat> and uh, 
Freud, you know, Freud even says, you know, the pain of the ego is the worst pain. And I think that, and the reason I was discussing that is because in the talk, I'm, I'm explaining how I find it really ironic. I was, I cover, there's a bit where I basically, I'm covering what the, what the average experience is for someone breaking into their apathy, right? So you take bumps over and over again, you hit the ropes, you have to do hundreds of squats, uh, and then you're learning basic technique and it's a real wake up call because it's not as easy as it looks on TV. Um, and then if you've got a good trainer, they're probably gonna try to run you off a little bit. They're gonna do a lot, they're gonna make you do things over and over again. And then they're gonna tell you that it was shit. And they're gonna tell you that you suck and that you, you know, and like, what the hell was that? Mm -hmm. to, see if you, to see if you quit. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about how some of that approach has sort of come under fire now from the sort of woke culture, mm -hmm. even though these are the same people that are more than happy to humiliate people online, you know, humiliate wrestlers with, you know, anonymously or sort of, you know, through sort of uh, performative activism or like, you know. Keyboard warriors. Yeah, right, exactly. And I find that sort of interesting because one of those two things serve the purpose while the other one does not, mm -hmm. right? In the sense that these, you know, a trainer, doing that to a, to a trainee is preparing you for life as a wrestler. Because if you're gonna work in the industry, they need to know that you're gonna work hurt, that you're gonna show up and make your commitments no matter what, you're gonna work if you're sick, you're gonna work if you've got personal problems at home and it's not gonna bleed into your work and you're gonna commit whether there's 10 people in the building or 10,000. Mm -hmm. And you're gonna own the room and take control of it no, no matter what's being said to you, whether you're being heckled, on a you know from a, from a character standpoint or a personal standpoint and i've been there i mean i've been in buildings especially given my circumstances you know given who i'm married to and that where i've had the worst shit imaginable said to me and it has nothing to do with my wrestling character nothing to do with with what's happening in the match it's just some guy trying to you know make a personal attack at me just to try to to see if he can throw me off my game so you have to develop a conditioning you have to develop a, a level of self-awareness and, and, uh, and the ability to, to let that roll off you it's not easy but the the other part of it is you <laughs> there's a lot of things in wrestling you you can only really learn by experiencing them and one of them is the politics because no two particular sort of circumstances of politics will ever happen the exact same way and the period that i'm referring to the most you know when i was when i was making that comment i was trying i was i was i hope people take it in the right context because i was kind of trying to to create a uh, empathy for sammy in the sense that like you guys don't understand that like that, that you know when you're in your 20s all this stuff comes at you really fast mm -hmm. and you're developing confidence but you're still maturing emotionally and but you're being hit with all this stuff that you've never had to deal with before it's a lot of pressure 100 percent. like i remember everything i had no, you know i'd never had anyone try to like to politically you know professionally sabotage me 
at all. I'd seen it happen, but I always just kind of, that's just for the sort of tippy top guys, you know, that won't happen to me. And then until one day it did. And I suddenly realized like, wait, that guy's just trying to, he's just, he's trying to harm me so that it helps him, you know? And I, I can't tell you the, the, the level of anger that, you know, that, that brings out and like the humiliation, because then you're walking around going, everyone knows this. And like now, you know, and it's the same thing that happens with, with social media and things like that, is that, you know, you, the more you stew on it, the more you have, well, I can't just say nothing because then people are going to think that I'm a coward. And, you know, I've got to do something because like, I can't just, I can't let this, I cannot let this humiliation stand. You know, I must act, I must do something. And a lot of the time that, you know, the thing you do ends up not being the smartest move. Sometimes it's necessary. Like I would argue when, like when I responded to Bruce Pritchard, like, I thought about that and I even spoke to him first to kind of try to get some kind of idea of like what, you know, why, why on earth someone would do that. And it became, you know, after weighing everything up, then I did decide, okay, that was, there was no other motivation there than to just try to, just to try to hurt me. So, you know, that's, and, and, and it, and and I decided to make a response that I, you know, backed up by evidence. You know, it wasn't a sort of, it wasn't just a kind of, um, it, you know, completely emotional sort of knee-jerk reaction. Mm -hmm. But there were times going back, and I would argue, but I see the the point I'm making with that is that that whole thing is still a carryover from when I was younger and and dumber and, and made bad choices because he never let that go. Whereas I did, and I kind of owned it. And that's where I felt like there was, a, there was that's where I felt a little disrespected because I was kind of like, I owned that shit, man. Like, you know, back in the day, like, you know, we had some disagreements at TNA and I, and I sort of owned up to it and said, look, I was very young and I, and I, and I, you know, and I could have handled it differently and I'm sorry and I apologize and I'm, and I, and I, uh, and I appreciate you know, the, the, the stuff I learned, like working with you and stuff. And it's, and yet it was obviously just lip service because the, you know, the first chance he got, he turned around and, and you know, buried me. But that's all coming from that. And that's, and that's what I'm referring to in all that is that like, yeah, uh, you have to be really careful um, because it's not just about you in the, in the eyes of the audience. It's also about, you don't just because just because you decide that you're going to develop the maturity to, to move on from something right five years doesn't mean that the other person will no that's true resentment is you know? an ugly bitch yep yes so it's kind of like hey you know i don't i don't know any more circumstances than that but uh the other point of it was was from a financial standpoint you know if you can make I'm, I'm very fortunate to once again be in a position where I'm making a, a good salary for being a wrestler. Um, and fortunately, I've had more good years than bad, you know, in that regard. But it's like, I, but it, when you go from making, you know, from knowing exactly what you're making to not knowing what you're going to make, like, that's scary. And that happened to me right when I had a, a kid on the way. 
Mm-hmm. So it's like, I've been in the most humbling position in that respect of like, okay, you know, this is a business. Don't look at your horse in the mouth. Pick your battles and understand that the only thing that matters in the end is what you invested and what you came out of the other end with. Nobody's going to remember that one bad angle you were in, you know, or if they do, then like, they're a nerd. Like, sorry, if they, if they, st- if they you know, 10 years from now, people are still going, oh, do you remember that terrible angle you were in? I was like, oh, you do something else with your life, man. <laughs> There's got to be more interesting things to talk about than, than you know, this one bad angle I was in. Or I'd look it back to that. I just look it back to a bit and laugh, you know, like <laughs> Brutus Magnus and all that sort of stuff. I just laugh about it. You know what I mean? Of course. It's not like I'm sitting there going, how dare you bring that up? That it's was just a great like, character and I did it perfectly. Don't you yeah, like me? You know, it's just kind of like, whatever, move on. And um, so, yeah, I just, but when I, when I made that comment, it was more just to sort of highlight the fact that if there's any fans that, that, are, that have come along in the last few years, mm-hmm. they would have only seen me for who I am now. Mm-hmm. And that's great. Like, <laughs> for, for, from my point of view, that's awesome because it means they didn't get to see any of the, any of the failed attempts, you know, any of the sort of, uh, you know, the, the different attempts to get to the point that I'm at now. But I just like to remind people that you know, it's tough to get this stuff right when you're in your early 20s. And I'm not saying you, you know, I'm not saying you give, give them a pass, but just remember, like, you, you know, you got to have some empathy for, for the whole situation. 100, 100%. I think that's great advice. And I think you hit the nail on the coffin. And I think this has been an amazing conversation. Nick, I'm honored and I'm humbled that you took the time out for me today. And uh, I'm, I'm honored that you came on Straight Talk Wrestling. And I want to let you know now, I tell this to everybody, but this for you, I think, reigns really true. I, I felt that we had a great kick-ass conversation. And you are now officially a member of the Straight Talk family. Anytime you want to come back, I'd be more than happy to help you. And um, I now consider you a friend. I don't know what you consider me, but I could say, hey, Nick this is my friend. We had a conversation. Sure. Whatever helps you sleep at night. <laughs> Oh, I walked into that one. I know I did. All right, Nick, if anybody's conversation. Thank you very much. If anybody's, you know, not following you on the wonderful world of social media, where can they find everything that is Nick Aldis? Uh, at real Nick Aldis on Twitter or at Nick Aldis on uh, Instagram. And uh, yeah, I'm also, I've, I've also launched uh, my own supplement company uh, in the last few months, Legacy Sports Nutrition. We've had, uh, we've had our best uh, we, we, our best-selling sleep aid recovery PM is available now at this point in time, especially with season with the seasons and the weather being the way it is, and all the unrest and COVID and, and all of the uh, unease in the world. You know, it, it, it's so vital that you get a good night's sleep. The World Health Organization has officially recognized sleep deprivation as a carcinogen, meaning it will cause cancer. It is that. It is that deadly dangerous to get inadequate quality sleep that it's now recognized as a carcinogen. So Recovery PM is a a completely natural uh, collection of sleep aids and natural sedatives and tranquilizers to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep through the night. The feedback has been unreal. People People are just 
raving about how effective this is, about how they, they go to bed and they sleep through the night, they wake up and they feel fantastic. Like if you're one of those people that starts to hit a wall about two, three o'clock in the afternoon, it's probably because you're not sleeping, you know, you're not getting enough quality sleep. In our lives now, we spend all our time in front of screens, artificial lighting, you know, with, with irregular sleep patterns and, and irregular stimuli. It's so important that you let your body adequately shut down. So if you go to legacystuff.com uh, and you can order Recovery PM, we've also got a best-selling testosterone booster on there and, and some pre-workout fat burners. Uh, if you use code ALDIS, A-L-D-I-S, you'll get 10% off everything. Perfect. Uh, legacystuff.com. Absolutely. I might go there for that uh, sleep aid because uh, I have an up and down sleep pattern for sure. So that may actually help me out. Try it, man, for sure. It, I'm telling you, it's, um, it, it's, and there's nothing in there that, that's, that you can get addicted to or, or will affect your own, you know, body's functions. It's, it's melatonin, tryptophan, 5-HTP, uh, GABA, you know, theanine is all natural occurring, but they're, they're all proven and uh, the team that I developed the product with, we basically put together all the all the main eventers that help you fall asleep, and we put them all together in one, and it's it it just works. It's unbelievable. Absolutely fantastic. I will definitely check it out. And because I'm a glutton for self promotion, at underscore Straight Talk on Twitter, at Straight Talk Resting on Instagram and on Facebook. Nick, I follow you across all platforms. If you want to follow me back, that'd be super awesome. Just a suggestion. Just throwing throwing it your way, Nick. Oh, I, I'm, I'm getting a call. Sorry. I just... oh. <laughs> well, as always, I am your hoster boy. I want to thank today's guest, Nick Aldis. Nick, when this drops in mid-March, I'm going to tag you in all the posts. If you have a chance, maybe if you're stopping somewhere for a coffee and you want to retweet it or share it, I would appreciate it. And as exactly. always, thank you so much, dude. It was an amazing pleasure and honor to speak with you today. Yeah, no worries. Thanks, buddy. Thank you for listening. Tune in next week for another episode on Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and iHeartRadio. Also follow us on Facebook at Straight Talk Wrestling, on Instagram at Straight Talk Wrestling, and on Twitter at underscore Straight Talk. And for all our merchandise, you can search us on ProWrestlingTees.com. Oh.